This week's episode of Screen Talk is brought to you by Sony Pictures Classics presenting Call Me By Your Name, the new film by Luca Guadagnino, a sensual and transcendent tale of first love starring Army Hammer, Timothy Chalamet, and Michael Stuhlbarg. Call Me By Your Name has been nominated for three Golden Globes, including Best Picture and six Spirit Awards, including Best Feature, Best Director, Best Cinematographer, and Best Editor. Peter Travers from Rolling Stone raves four stars, highest rating. There's magic in every frame. Call Me By Your Name is one of the very best movies of the year. Written by James Ivory, based on the acclaimed book by Andre Asimov. For your consideration in all categories, including Best Picture. Call Me By Your Name is now playing in select theaters and coming soon to a theater near you on January 19th. I really suggest you check it out. Welcome to a very special year-end episode of Screen Talk, one of those nice little moments when we get to take a little pause from the news cycle because we're kind of off the grid trying to recharge for the new year and and we look back on things that we've enjoyed. I'm Eric Cohn, the Deputy Editor and Chief Critic, joined as always by Ann Thompson, our Editor-at-Large, and Today, Ann, we're going to go back and talk about our favorite movies of the year. We already did our top ten list a little while back, actually really early in the month. It feels like it gets earlier every year. But there's still uh, ways in which we can kind of break things down here. So the way we're going to do this is we're going to go through and just talk about one film from a couple of different categories that rank as the top films in those categories, starting with Best Documentary. So, Anne, why don't you kick us off? Okay, I'm sticking with my favorite documentary from Cannes, which was Agnes Varda's Faces Places. And it is just a, a in a time when things are dark, <laughs> when, when there's so little to be happy about, uh, you know, when Obamacare is going down in flames, um, we can be uh, able to celebrate uh, charming, lovely, warm, whimsical moments in France when she and JR travel around with a special bus taking pictures and putting big blown up versions of people's faces on the sides of buildings and creating art and talking to the people that they're uh, profiling and chasing after other people from her past. And it's just one of these extraordinary uh, movies that uses all of her skills from her 89, 90 years of life. And, uh, you know, she still got it. And it could be her last movie. She won a, an honorary Oscar this year. But I uh, applaud Faces Places, and I hope everybody goes to see it. I mean, I will say I really love this movie. I saw it again a couple weeks ago, and it, and it made my, uh, you know, cold, dreary soul uh, get stirred up and cry a little bit. But, um, like, the emotion works even when you see it coming. Eric and cried. But, I love it. But I will say... I don't know. Is it a documentary? It I is. Mean, it's not a documentary by by most people's standards. What would I, be the definition that it breaks? Well, I think that it's a, a lot to a large degree a, a scripted story. It's that not there scripted. Are, I think what are, it is is um, they set up situations that they're yes. covering. They know what they're I, going to cover. And, and let me be clear: these categories mean basically nothing to me personally but I think like as the best documentary of the year it's it's an interesting question I mean I think it's like it's almost like Agnes Varda movies have their own genre and their own category and this is like above and beyond even what like a documentary would do they're going around filming things that really happened it's not like they're reenacting or faking or you know they're 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 setting them up 
but that's been done and that's been done since time in memoriam you know that's not it's, a rule that you you know you can break that rule yeah i mean you can break all the rules i guess if you want to it's just so so my best documentary of the year is is, is certainly a documentary by traditional standards it's sort of like it comes from somebody who is one of the most important contributors to that format of storytelling, and that's Frederick Wiseman's film, Ex Libris, the New York Public Library. Now, I am partial on some level to rap film. It's a film I've really enjoyed championing. I think it's a really cool, different kind of essay film. But Ex Libris, which I saw quite late in the year, um, because it's so long, it's an easy one to put off, is really astounding in terms of what he's achieved here. I mean, here's this, and this is not why it works as a movie, but this is a guy in his late 80s who, you know, has been making documentaries for 50 years and controls every element of them. He shoots them, he, he edits them, he does all the sound. This is someone who he, definitely follows the cinema verite rule book. I mean, he, I, one of the in people In fact, who he invented it. it. Yeah, no, I mean, he is, and you feel, you feel it when you watch it, because this is a movie that is, uh, so our office in New York is across the street from the New York Public Library. It was an annoying thing to me because I passed by all these tourists taking photos in front of it every morning. Now, every time I stop by it, I understand what that institution is. It's not just a bunch of books. I mean, it's, it's kind of sounds superficial, but it's like seeing the events that they do, seeing the educational initiatives, peering in on boardroom sessions where they talk about you know, diversity or whatever it is, and then to, to then have these little interstitial moments where he takes you across town to different branches, you start to understand how this is actually an institution that was created to be the kind of, the, the keeper of in, in the intelligence in this country. It's like trying to hold on to that, which is such an important message right now when such stupid people are running the country. It just resonates on so many levels. And it's like boyhood or something. Like you're sitting with this kind of experimental narrative and you, you don't really get bored. You're constantly just sort of like interested in the little kind of details he's sort of pulling together. And so it's just this extraordinary, sophisticated tapestry. If this was officially, you know, sort of the authorized documentary about New York Public Library probably would have been 90 minutes, some talking heads, some boring music in the background, and that would be that. It's over three hours long, it's totally uncompromised, and it's just a great work of cinema. I look forward to seeing it. I'm sorry I haven't seen it yet. Maybe I'll catch up with that over the holidays instead Good, of yeah. Bright. There you go. Good option. So foreign language, that's the next category for us. What's top of your list? All right, so I'm going with Loveless, which is Andres Viagensiv's uh, film that debuted in Cannes. It is a very grim, as we've d discussed before, uh, bleak look at the state of things in Russia. And while we may have it bad, um, in many ways they have it worse. And I think their culture... Um, uh, as as shown by this fil uncompromising filmmaker, is 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 so relentlessly chasing uh, work and success and and self gratification uh, that they're neglecting their own children. And this one story just killed me. It slayed me. I highly recommend this movie. It's also yeah, very beautiful, very elegantly shot. True. I mean, if you haven't seen Leviathan. Highly recommended. I think that is the ultimate illustration of this guy's talents, but certainly he's a master it. filmmaker. It's all right. It's a it's a good movie. I'm, I'm not going to knock it because I feel like you know there 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 are different degrees here in terms of you know what constitutes a great movie. But uh, yeah, no, it's impressive. I my foreign language film I've talked about it a lot is Foxtrot. 
I, I really got some gratification out of a couple people saying that my initial praise for this movie led them to go check it out at other festivals this fall because it wasn't exactly buried, but it wasn't it, sort it of... It popped up at Toronto, pretty much. Yeah, exactly. So Samuel Miles... Late is, in the festival, I might add. It's, it's so interesting because it's about... Uh, the sort of intergenerational struggles of Israeli men and the way the military casts this long shadow over all of that. But it's also about the grieving process. It's about a, a broken family trying to reconcile its differences. And it does it with a kind of musicality, with a, with a command over tone that shows that, that Samuel Miles is just an incredibly confident filmmaker with a real point of view. It's the second film. His first one was, was pretty strong, too. Lebanon, which was all shot in a tank. So this one is not like that at all. No, but it's, it's quite exuberant and, and yeah. quite unpredictable. And this is what I like about it. It's very fluid. It moves around. It doesn't t follow one trajectory, and it's quite surprising in its structure. Yeah. So, so I mean, it's just it, this was one of my favorite movies of the year. Period. But I think it's also it's just it's a it's a great movie for so many different kinds of people. I don't think that it's gonna like gross somebody out. It's not gonna be too messed up for them. And you could argue it's kind of dark, but it's not loveless dark. Like I said, I think it's it's like it's exuberant is a good word for it. There's something expressionistic about it. It's, it keeps you watching. You're constantly enthralled. And I would be more it upset. Also is, it has humor. It has a lot yeah. of humor and charm. And I would be, yeah, totally. It's, 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 it's a dark, dark comedy in some really brilliant ways. And I, I would be more upset about spoiling its first big twist than anything in Star Wars. So yeah. <laughs> please. So Go let's do animation. Um, animation, uh, of course, Coco is, is the one that everybody thinks is going to win the Oscar and the, be the box office champ. It's one of Pixar's best movies in a long time. But I'm voting for uh, The Breadwinner, which um, it comes uh, out of this Irish film group that did The Secret of Kells. And it tells a story. It's based on a book. It tells a story about an Afghanistan little girl whose father is arrested by the Taliban and she has to become a boy in order to even go out and get the food for the family and uh, she she has another uh, girlfriend who's acting like a boy and they pal around together and try to elude detection and it's a very straight on dramatic movie in, in animated form with a great deal of elegant design and incredibly really good voice work uh, for, for a very sophisticated uh, use of, of different voices. Um, and and it, it strikes just the right tone. It's, it's not cute and it's not um, stodgy. It has some animation sequences within it that are fantasy sequences that are much more um, uh, fanciful. Uh, it's just a, a wonderful movie and I can't recommend it enough. I haven't seen it, but I, I really like Secret of the Kells, and, and so I'm, I'm looking forward to checking that one out. So and it's a woman filmmaker. It's Nora Tuomi, and Angelina Jolie was an executive producer on it. She sort of helped with a lot of the work in Afghanistan and advised on various things as well. Yeah, so so that one's definitely, I need to fill in that gap. Usually I try to pick up on, on most of the animation throughout the year, but this one came kind of late to the party. Um, the movie that's on my list is a nice kind of twist because I like don't see much of anybody talking about it, and that's a film called My Entire High School Sinking into the Sea. This is a film that uh, was the directorial debut of this really interesting graphic novelist named Dash Shaw, 
Um, it's got some, a really cool voice cast, Jason Schwartzman, Lena Dunham, Reggie Watts, a bunch of other people like on that level, kind of interesting uh, types who don't necessarily lend their voices to a lot of animated work, but this is this hand-drawn piece of animation this guy basically did in his house. Um, and it's a really cool kind of expressionistic coming-of-age story, literally about a high school sinking into the sea. And this guy who sort of has to join, this nerdy high school newspaper guy, has to join forces with a bunch of people to progress through different levels of his school to get to the ceiling and escape. It's so wacky, but there's an undercurrent of emotion to it that I think is really kind of surprising and, and involving and just visually because everything you see is literally being controlled by this guy's hands, it's almost like watching a great puppet show or something. Remind me a bit to some degree of what Bill Plimpton does. You know, there's like such a connection between the artist and the art. Only in kind of this approach to animation do you see that degree of control over everything you're watching. So that was a, that was really a, an interesting high point for me. I, it's unfortunate that movie has been buried to the extent it, it has. has. I haven't been. Uh, it hasn't been on my radar at all. So I'll I'll definitely check it out. Yeah, yeah, and it's only an hour and fifteen minutes. So if if you're debating the ex libris three hour fifteen minute experience or whatever that one is. This is a, perhaps a more feasible option for you to prioritize. So, so those of you who are familiar with our um, 10 best lists, as already revealed, probably know what each of us has chosen as our number one. But we're going to go at it again, and I'm going to claim as my best film of the year Guillermo del Toro's The Shape of Water, this extraordinary fantasy romance set in the 60s, uh, you know, with the great Sally Hawkins falling in love with a merman played by Doug Jones, who's been in many, many del Toro films. I'm a little surprised that some of the, um, I didn't, I, for example, I expected this to get a makeup nomination. Some of the late breaking nominations that came through, uh, short lists, let's put them. They're not real nominations yet. We should, we have to put this in the right context, uh, just the short list, but that means that it's not on it. So it can't be nominated. Um, so it's, it's a little bit surprising, um, that it didn't get more, uh, love on, on, on in that, uh, craft category. Well, it also didn't rank super high on the critics poll. Um, it I was, was surprised on, by that too. It was there, but it was sort of in the middle of the pack. I, I audited all the ballots, and I could tell you. I mean, it was it was on a lot of them, but it wasn't ranked super highly because it, it, it's a competitive year, and it's a movie that a lot of people feel. I think they they sort of commune as much with the vision of the movie as with some of the things that are perceived as flaws. I mean, I think there are flaws to this movie. He's a better visual storyteller than he is a writer, for example, I think. Well, I early on figured out that it might not get screenplay because that's a competitive category, and I think that he may very well be uh, applauded for his craftsmanship more than for his writing. But I was surprised, that's why I was surprised that, that makeup didn't go for it, you know? That, that's what I, I thought the crafts would be solidly behind him. So I, well, I'm very curious to see on nominations morning, does it get cinematography? Does it get uh, production design? Uh, I would have expected that it would. And that's where the support should be for that movie. Yeah, I mean, visually, here's what I've been saying this about Shape of Water for a while. I think it's got the two best sequences of his career. There's a, a sex scene and a dance scene. And those things And the are, opening shot is pretty Well, there, there's good. some really 
strong images throughout. But I think those two sequences are what sold the movie on me overall. But I was also aware of the fact that I think Michael Shannon's character is a little broad. There are some clumsier bits. And the critique that's come up about the monster not having a real personality, I think there's something, there might be something there. I, I need to see it again. Honestly, I, I, I plan to, to rewatch it to kind of look at that. But it's not something I, I really communed with the first time around and, and now it's, it's been sticking with me. Is you don't. I saw it the second time and it held up even more. And the criticisms I had of Michael Shannon being sort of obvious casting, when I saw it the second time, I was familiar with the whole 60s thriller, you know, government lab aspects of it. And I, I was, I, I, I rolled with it better. Yeah. Well, it, he's just such, a, he's, some, he's the kind of person where it's like, you want him to succeed no matter what. And I'm glad that he's not making a Star Wars movie or whatever. Like he did a quirky property like Hellboy and kind of made it his own thing. But really these are the kind of movies that, a, a, a kind of visionary artist should be creating and it's uh, it goes far enough to make you realize why he is a great filmmaker so I hope that he you know sticks with it in any case but um, yeah it's a, I, I, no qualms about that one is your number one my uh, my number one on, on my list is get out and um, it's a movie that I first saw uh, the surprise section at Sundance last year and could tell it was going to be very successful, but uh, could not have anticipated the degree to which it would become this pop culture phenomenon. And what was really cool was recognizing why that is. There's an element of representation there that's very important, much in the way we were talking about Star Wars in the last episode. I mean, it, it, it gives an a, a, a audience of color a story of their own experience that is often not explored at all, and certainly not in these terms. There's more to it than that. I went back to it and I rewatched it, and I realized it's it's just incredibly well directed, incredibly engaging on so many different levels. It's it's funny, and I wouldn't even say it's scary so much as it's sort of it's suspenseful because of the way in which it's establishing a totally outrageous scenario. But from it's the also so original and so well, but unexpected it, but that's what that I'm you saying. really don't know what's going to happen, and well, that's part of its that. strength, but it's, too. But it's not just about not knowing what's going to happen. It's, it's that you experience it from the perspective of the main character. Um, and he is as, he his bafflement sort of is the mirror for the audience. Right. And there's this great piece in the New York Times Magazine by Wesley Morris where he profiles Jordan. It's a, a terrific piece of writing. It's really interesting because so many Jordan Peele stories have been written this year, and this one is sort of late to the party, but just probably the, the best piece you'll, you'll, you'll get on him, where, he, where Jordan Peele says, you get to be black when you watch this movie, which you know, only somebody like him could kind of say, but it's interesting because it is explicitly staged in that fashion, and that's what makes it such a cultural milestone in a way even more so to, to some degree than Moonlight. Well, he drags you along because he thinks that, he makes you think that you're involved in one thing and then it turns into something else, something very different and something very threatening. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a great movie. I, 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 I added it. Uh, I, I have it on my 10 best now. <laughs> it, 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 when I rearranged things, I was able to put it on. And I, and I certainly do hope it, it has a broader effect on the kinds of movies that are being made because it's it's a risk taker that also was, ended up being commercial and that that's a really important combo that doesn't get discussed enough, especially when you consider the fact that it was made for 
not that much money. $4.5 million. Like an insanely profitable achievement that is also just a great artistic achievement. And so that is totally something that is feasible for the film industry. So next week we will uh, recover all bleary-eyed from the uh, New Year's celebration. We'll uh, maybe uh, recap whatever it is that we do during our time off and then... um, we barrel right ahead. I've got the near around the corner. We got Sundance, and then something called the Oscar nominations somehow happens in the middle of all that. So, uh, rest up. Have a good uh, end of the year celebration, and I will talk to you soon. Bye, Eric. Have a great holiday. You too.